Hey, Harvest. Uh, so glad to be with you. You know, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And I love being in the Lord's house, praising his name with his people. And so glad that you're here, here in Rolling Meadows or at all of our campuses. We're grateful to be here together and grateful to be in the time of the service when we hear specifically from God's Word. That's what we're going to be doing today. And so grab hold of your Bibles. You're going to need it. We're going to be in 1 Timothy 6. We are finishing up our series today on finances called On the Money. And if we could, just at the offset here, I have absolutely no idea why I was asked to close out the series on money. No idea. My natural inclination towards finances is just spend it. We'll make more later. I've had to go through Dave Ramsey like a couple of times because I failed the class. And I'm getting a little better with discipline and things like that. But naturally, that's, what's, that's, that's what comes from me. It's just, well, let's just spend it. We'll, we'll make more later. We'll figure it out. But fortunately, you're not actually hearing from me today. We're looking at God's word because it doesn't really matter what I think. And it honestly doesn't matter what you think. It really only matters what does God think about our money. And so fortunately, we are hearing from him today. So 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19, we're going to be looking at. And so whether your natural tendency is like mine, like just this bend it will make more later or something far more boring or probably healthier, somewhere in the middle of those kinds of things, uh, we're going to look at what does God's Word have to say about that. Because God's Word has a lot to say about our relationship with money and how that is an indicator of our relationship with our God. So we want, we desperately want a right relationship with God and riches. And to that end, let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your perfect word and how you instruct us from it. From it. God, would you enable us to get our lives on track with where you would call us to? Any elements of our lives that need to, would they be congruent with your precepts, with your teaching, with your instruction on how we're to live in relationship with finances and ultimately, Lord, how we're to live in relationship with you in a way that honors you and desires to see your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, 1 Timothy 6, this is the end of Paul's first letter to his protege, Timothy. And he goes through tons of instructions in this book. He, he gives him uh, warnings against false teachers and, and things about prayer and roles in the church and how to care for those people in the church who are in need. And one of the things, as he comes to a close of his letter, he's talking about their relationship with money. And he begins in verse 17. Let's look at the text together. He says, as for the rich in this present age. 
Who is this directed to? It's directed to the rich. That's who we're looking at. That's who Paul is instructing Timothy to command them some of this. The rich. Now, the rich, this word, what this means is anyone whose income exceeds what is needed for the necessities. It's exceeding what's needed just to stay alive. Your basic necessary sort of things. If you have more finances than that, then this is who he's talking to. Did you know that the average global household income is just $9,733 a year? The average in the entire world, all the billions of people in this world, the average is $9,733 a year. One-third of the world's population still today lives on less than $2 per day. One-third of the world's population get up every morning wondering, am I going to have clean water to drink? Are my kids going to get to eat today? A third of the world's population today. These aren't old statistics. And lots of times we might look at our own bank account and our own finances and feel like, I'm not really sure, how are we going to afford that vacation? How am I going to afford that, that extra car that we want to get? Like, listen, one-third of the world's population is trying to figure out if they're going to eat today. So when we look at a passage like this, and Paul says, as for the rich in this present age, he's talking to us. He's talking to anyone who makes more than $9,733 a year. And that's who this is directed at. It's a scale for sure, and we would look at the person who drives a Ferrari and the person who drives a Corolla and think, yeah, they're definitely different places on that scale. But for sure, most of us, I'm just going to go out on a limb here. I don't know everybody in this room, but I, I don't think anybody in this room or anybody in any of our worship centers today got up this morning and thought, how are we going to get clean water? Do I need to send my kids walking four miles today just so that we can get clean water to drink? Most of us aren't in that boat. So Paul's instructions here are for us today. Let's continue reading. He says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Uh, Paul's instructing us here about four aspects, four instructions for our relationship to God and to riches. And he says that riches shouldn't produce pride in us. He says that riches won't bring you security, that we should be rich in good works towards others, and that generosity is that which brings the true riches. So first, riches shouldn't produce 
pride. Paul begins this whole thing by saying, as for the rich in this present age. He's stressing the fact that it's today. It's what's happening in this age, not in the age to come. And he's calling for the wealthy to use our wealth, to use our riches, to use our finances to prepare for the future, for an an age to come. Now, Paul's primary concern isn't ultimately what we do and what they do with their finances. That, that is important, what you do with your money. But his primary concern is with our hearts in what we're doing with our finances. And he says to them to not be haughty. Charge them not to be haughty. Now, this word, it means prideful. It means arrogant. It means to believe yourself in a high position, to feel proud. Because of their material wealth, the rich are sometimes tempted to think more of of themselves than they ought, to view themselves as of a more important, or to view themselves as better than those who don't have as much. But this isn't really true of our culture, right? No, of course it is. We think that we're better than others because of what we have and what they have. We look at the car that someone drives or where they live or where they go on vacation or the clothes they wear or the stuff that they have. And we sort of uh, automatically in our minds develop a ranking system of ourselves and others. You know, she has more than I do, so she must be better than I am. But, But I have more than he does, so I must be better than him. We rank all of that, and at the end of it all, It's pride. It's us being haughty. Except for when somebody's being, like, ironic about it. Nobody posts a picture of their 2002 Toyota Corolla with a big scrape down the side and says, like, check out my fire ride. But but you could go on Instagram and find tons of photos of a Ferrari, of some guy in front of it, like, look at my car, you know. No one posts a picture on Instagram of the mediocre club sandwich that they had at Applebee's. Hashtag foodie. No, but if you go to Alinea with some friends, you're going to be sitting there hungry with your fork and knife in your hand while they take all the photos and post them on you. Can we just eat? Because it's pride. I want to show off my experience. I want to show off my great car or this great experience that we had at this restaurant or the cool vacation. Nobody posts pictures of Topeka, Kansas when they visit there. But, oh, here's my beach photo with my knees in the sand, all those sorts. It's it's us being prideful. It's us being haughty. It's us thinking of ourselves of a higher position than others. Because we have pride in our possessions, but not just our possessions, we have pride in ourselves. We believe that we're something because of what we have. When All of it was given to us by the Lord. As followers of Jesus, we have to completely reject this. If God has given us material wealth, we're to steward it for his purposes. 
Last week we looked at the parable of the talents where these three dudes were given finances. They were given different amounts from their master and told to go put it to work. But we don't see the guy who got five talents going to the one talent guy like, dude, you only got one? Well, I'm better than you. We don't see any of that. Instead, we see him at once, right away, getting out the door to put it to work for the master. He recognized that it wasn't his in the first place, and he got to work stewarding it. So the fact that you or I or any of us have been given more financial resources than somebody else or than a lot of people in this world, it should only produce in us a desire, a responsibility to steward those resources well for the master. It doesn't produce in us pride. It produces in us an ability and a desire to get to work for him. Riches shouldn't produce pride. And then riches won't bring security. Let's look at the text again. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. He uses this a ton of times. Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy, that we are not to place our hope, we're not to place our security on that. Riches won't bring security. And anyone who has ever owned a home or even a single stock has seen the uncertainty of riches. If you ever bought any cryptocurrency, you have seen the uncertainty of riches. It's here one day and gone the next. Psalm 62.10 would remind us and say that if riches increase, set not your heart on them. You see, the, the problem isn't having these things. The problem isn't being a person who's rich, who's wealthy. That's not the problem. The problem is not setting our heart on it. Because Scripture has a whole lot of uh, warnings for those who are wealthy. It never says that wealth or riches are evil, but there's a whole lot of warnings about our wealth, about our riches. It's actually, in the Bible, it's a lot like the way that the Bible talks about alcohol. Like, there's, there's no passages. I, I have read the whole thing. Aren't you grateful that a pastor has read the whole thing? Uh, there, there's, there are no passages that say, like, that alcohol is an amazing thing, you should go do that. Um, there's a whole lot of like neutral passages and there's a ton, most of them are warnings about it. Be careful, watch out for this, don't do this, but like the guardrails about it. That's what we see. Most of it is about warnings and money, finances is the same way. There's so many warnings in God's word. There's nowhere that it says, go out there and get absolutely as much money as you can. It's not in the Bible at all. But there's a whole lot of neutral passages and there's a ton of warnings. And this is one of those, that we shouldn't set our heart on them. We shouldn't set our hopes on them. Now, a little earlier in this passage, Paul tells Timothy, 
Uh, this is First uh, Timothy six six through ten. He says, "But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who here's the problem: those who desire to be rich fall into temptation." into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the, here it is again, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. There's lots of warnings for us in God's word. It's a serious warning not to love riches, not to seek after them, not to put our hope or our trust or our faith in those things. Our hope is to be placed on God alone. He alone is our anchor and our security and our hope through all of it. He alone is the one who provides all of it for us. And it, it says, I love this, that it says that he richly provides us with everything to enjoy. I love Paul's play on words here. We're, we're commanded because those who are rich are commanded to not set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Not setting my hope on those riches, but God is richly providing to me so that I can enjoy. This enjoyment he's talking about, he's not talking about like self-indulgent enjoyment. He's talking about thankful acceptance of God's good gifts that are given to us to enjoy. He's saying if you have some of those riches, some of that wealth, it's okay to enjoy those things. But do it with thankfulness and gratitude to God. See, so I was right. Spend it. We'll make more later. Okay, maybe not quite that. That might be a bit of a stretch. But for sure, thankfully, enjoy the things that our Father has blessed us with. Now, God's Word definitely, as we've looked at already, teaches us that riches shouldn't have our hearts that we're to be joyfully generous towards others with our resources. And it also shows us that if God has blessed us with, our, with some kind of material wealth, that it's not wrong to thankfully enjoy God's gifts. So if you're able to have some kind of wealth and not set your hope on it, because if that's a problem, get rid of it. Because more important is setting our hope on God. If you're able to hold those riches and not set your hope on them, and if you're able to then still hold those riches and be joyfully generous to the people around you, and you can do those things, then it's not wrong to have a nice car. Get a Ferrari. I don't care. Just let me drive it every once in a while. Um, It's not wrong to to have a nice car or go on nice vacations or go out to a, a nice dinner or enjoy those things, but do it with 
thankfulness in our hearts to the one who's given us what you don't deserve. You didn't earn any of that. You are the servant who's been entrusted those things by a master who owns all of it. And don't ever forget that. Because the moment we forget that, that's the moment we start setting our hope on ourselves and setting our hope on the riches that we have. So don't set your hope on them because they will not bring you security. The only anchor, the only security that we can ever have is our Heavenly Father who provides all that we need so that we may glorify Him. And then third, we should be rich in good works. He says that skip ahead. He says they are to do good to be, here's another play on words, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, that we're to be rich in good works. These good works, this is a practical outplay of our of God's generosity to us, when we recognize that all of this has been given to us, that God has been immensely generous to me, the master has entrusted me with so much, my desire is to do good works for him, but not just do them, but to be rich in them. You know, um, so despite my like... um, Let's spend it thoughts. I'm actually pretty frugal, especially when it comes to lunch. You would be, it's crazy how many uh, like PB&Js I have each week just because I'm like, I don't want to spend money on that. I don't spend. But a lot of things I do, uh, you know, throw everything out the window and just like spend it all, you know. So if, if I go to like a really nice restaurant, especially if it's a special occasion, a birthday or an anniversary or something like that, it, that's when the uh, let's spend it thing comes really comes out. My most expensive thing on the menu? Yeah, get it. That's great. You want an upcharge for the soup? Absolutely. You can't decide on a side? Just get them both. It doesn't matter. It's great. We're going all out. Because I want the experience. It gets me in trouble sometimes, for sure. I'm, I'm not rich in other ways later because I'm rich in the experience then. But I want to be rich in this experience and get all we can out of our time at this nice restaurant. And that's the idea here, I think, when we're rich in good works. I'm not holding anything back. I'm, I'm giving to people as much as I can. My, my time and the encouragement that I give a person and the care I give them and the, the way that I'm acting according to God's word, even when it's hard and even when I want to do something else, I'm being rich in it. I'm getting all that I have in that bucket there because I want to be rich in good works. I love the picture that Paul gives us here rich in good works, abundance in the way that I'm living my life according to God's word. That is ultimate freedom. I'm not bound by anything other than God's word, and he sets us free in the way that we carry out our lives to care for others, to do what's right according to God's word and honor him in this life. I want to be rich in those types of good works to others. And the wealth of those good works comes with the wealth of your understanding of what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. If you're 
grasp of his grace and his generosity towards you is meager, then you will be dirt poor in your good works for him. But if you understand the incredible riches that you have in a Savior who's given himself on a cross for your forgiveness and your right relationship with God, and you rightly understand all that's coming in the age to come because of what Jesus did for you, then you will be Warren Buffett in your good works. Because you'll understand the riches of the generosity that's been poured out to you, and you will desire to pour those good works out to God as a fragrant offering to him. We're rich in good works. And then generosity brings the true riches. Generosity brings true riches. He says they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. I love here that he gives us um, both the attitude and our readiness. He gives us the desires that we're to have to be generous. We desire to be generous to others because of how God has been generous for us. But I'm also looking for the opportunities. It's not just generous when it's like, oh, it's, it's time to tithe or it's time to care for somebody or it's time to, but, but ready for it, like prepared and set and waiting for an opportunity to be generous and to share with others. There's a joyful attitude that we have, but because of the immense generosity of, of God towards us, but there's also a readiness that does take preparation. I know a, a family in our church actually who um, they set aside a certain amount of money every month out of their budget and they put it in what they call a blessing fund. And they, when they set it aside, they have no idea how they're going to use it, but maybe they're going to give it to somebody who has a car repair coming and doesn't know how to fix that. I, I, recently, I, I knew of them buying a, a washing machine for a family that had one break and really needed a new washing machine. And they're just, here, we'll take care of that for you. Or, or you know, different ways that they can bless somebody. A, a student who can't figure out how am I going to get back to college in the fall. I don't have the money for it. They would just, here's a couple hundred dollars. It's a medical bill. Here, here you go. They, but they were ready for it. They had that money every month, and they're setting that aside. We don't, we don't know what we're going to need this for, but it's over here. We are ready to share. I was in uh, the car with a, a friend of mine uh, recently, and it was his dad's car. His dad was driving, and right behind the driver's seat, his dad keeps little care packages, uh, little Ziploc bags with toiletries and granola bars and water bottles and things like that, because we live in the city. And he sees people who are in need, and he just reaches behind him, grabs one of those care packages, and hands it out the window to somebody. But, but listen, he had to be ready to share. He, he had to go to Target and walk down the aisle with his cart and think about what might a person need 
who's in a situation like that. Well, I might need some deodorant, so I'm going to buy a whole bunch of deodorant, and I'm going to put it in, and I need some Ziploc bags, and I need some water bottles, and I need some granola bar. He, he had to think about it ahead of time and plan for all of that. And then probably I couldn't see him, like, sitting at his kitchen table, like, assembling these little bags and then putting them. All of it was so that he's ready to share. You see, the, the attitude of generosity was already in his heart, but sometimes... We think, I want to be generous, but then we get really busy with our own lives. And we're running to soccer practice, and we're, we're running to a baseball thing, and we're, we're running to work, and we're, oh, I got a, we got a vacation next month, and we got a plan for that, and, and on to this meeting, and back and forth, and back and forth. And we don't take the time to slow down and prepare so that we can be ready to share with others. That's what Paul's talking about here. And he's not just talking about our finances. He's not just talking about sharing money. He's talking about sharing our very lives with others. Sometimes the easiest thing in the world for me is to pull out my phone and Venmo somebody 20 bucks who has a need for it. It's actually a lot harder for me to adjust my schedule so that I have some margin in it and when that person walks up to me in tears, I'm able to say, let's go grab a cup of coffee right now and let's talk about that. And I'd love to pray for you. And, and then a week later, text them and say, I'm still praying for you about that thing. How's it going? Like, that's a readiness to share of myself and my time and my attention to a person that's incredibly, can be incredibly meaningful to a person. We're investing ourselves into something that has permanent treasure. Not just for this age, but for the age to come. Uh, Jesus would tell us in a familiar passage to us, this is Matthew 6, that we have looked at before. Do not lay up for yourselves. This is the same word that we see in our passage in 1 Timothy 6, where he says not storing up. He's say, Jesus is saying here, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, we're commanded here in 1 Timothy to do good, to be rich in good works. All of it's others focused. And Paul is saying that those actions lay up treasure for us as we do them. <clears throat> we're investing in what he says a good foundation for the future. And he and Jesus here are talking about heaven. They're talking about the good works, the generosity that we have here lays up a foundation for us in heaven. And if you ever feel like I do at times, you know, I do my best to follow God's word and try to do what he commands me to, but man, life is not going the way that I thought it would. I feel like I do all of the right things, but why am I not getting all of the good things right now? Why do I still have this trial? And why is this heartache still happening? And why am I still waiting on an answer to prayer? God, I'm doing what you say 
to do, listen, you can be sure that when you live your life, when you focus all of your heart and all of your attention and all of your good works on what God calls us to, God sees every single action. He sees every heart attitude, and he's filling your eternal bank account with those things. Each one of those is seen by our Heavenly Father. God is not so unjust as to overlook the labor of love that you have for his saints, Hebrews 6.19. God sees all of it, and he's laying up a good foundation for us for the future. Just as you would contribute each month to a 401k so that you would have that money later on when you need it for medical bills or whatever, you wouldn't put the money in your 401k this month and the next month be like, well, where is it? Why don't I see my money? Why, why am I why are wealthier now? No, no, I'm, I'm putting it away. I'm investing it for a good foundation for the future. That's what our good works do. That's what our generosity does. We're either spending it on ourselves now, both our finances and our works. You're either spending it on yourself right now, or you're investing it for our eternal future. So are you living for this age, the present age that Paul began with, or are you living for the age to come? Are you investing it? Because when we store up treasure for ourselves, Paul says that we will take hold of that which is truly life, that eternal life that's set aside for us in heaven. Now, we've seen over and over in a lot of the passages that we have looked at, I just don't want us to miss this, though, that Scripture is not saying if you're generous and you do good things, you're going to heaven. What it's saying is that if your heart has been changed, if Jesus Christ has come into your heart, you've turned from your sins and embraced Jesus Christ by faith, you're going to heaven. It's set aside for you. And because of that, because of that change that's happened in me, my life will reflect that reality. So the good works and the generosity that I have are reflecting the reality of my heart change. And all of it is being stored up for heaven. But also what he's saying is if you are not generous, not just with your finances, but with your life, if you are not rich in good works, then that points to the fact that maybe your heart hasn't really been changed because a tree is known by its fruit. If I'm not seeing the apples on the tree, I start to wonder, is it really an apple tree? And that's what we're going at. That's what Paul is focused at here. How you invest your financial resources, how you invest your time, how you invest your life, it all demonstrates the reality of faith, of salvation, and all of it is necessary for eternal life. But if you live your life any way other than in God we trust, you're demonstrating where you place your faith and your hope. If it's in my money I trust, that's where you place your faith and your hope. 
if it's in me, in what I'm able to do, I trust, then that's where you're placing your faith and your hope. You've displayed that you aren't living for the age to come, but you're living for this present age. And that is all the treasure that you'll receive. But if by faith you invest where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves don't break in and steal, then you're storing up for yourself a good foundation for the future and taking hold of that which is truly life. Enduring good works, and specifically our relationship to God and riches, displays an indestructible foundation that's found in Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul's instructing us from this passage. You know, as we close our series on the money, our finance uh, series, I want to rehash a few things that we've gathered, a few pieces that we've learned, some of the truths that we have been hoping are sinking into each of our hearts as we grow in our relationship to God and our riches. So I have six things uh, that we've learned along the way that I'd love to focus on just as we close. First, guard against a desire for more wealth. Guard against a desire for more wealth. Luke 12, we looked at the parable of the rich fool. This is the guy who, who says, I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger ones because I need my stuff around me. I need to make sure that I have enough for later. And Jesus speaks against this guy and says that we need to lay up treasure for ourselves. Not the one who's laying up treasure for himself, but instead we need to be rich towards God. We're guarding against a desire for more wealth. A second, God provides for all of my needs. I need not be anxious. God provides for my needs. I need not be anxious. Luke 12, 22 and following, uh, Jesus tells us this passage is super familiar to us where he says, do not be anxious about your life. Don't be anxious about where you'll sleep or where you eat or things like that. And he reminds us of the ravens, these birds who God takes care of. They don't worry about where their meal's coming from. They don't worry about any of those things because God is providing. Look at the lilies, the flowers in the field and the beauty that they have. And none of them toil about, how am I going to be beautiful? How am I going to take care of this? God takes care of all of it. And they're here today and gone tomorrow, but your eternal, your heavenly Father knows what you need, and he will take care of you. So don't be anxious about your life. And then third, you can't outgive God. This is the rich ruler who believes that um, he can do the right things to get there. And at the end of that whole passage, the disciples Come, I want to look at this one real quick. The disciples come. Peter's leading them, of course. And Peter said to Jesus, see, we have left our homes and we've followed you. And he, Jesus, said to them, truly I say to you, there's no one who's left houses or wives or brothers or parents or children 
for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. You can't outgive God. The generous actions that you have, both in your good works and your finances, you can't outgive God. He promises to return that. And then fourth, true heart change results in total generosity. If your heart has been transformed, if you've come from darkness to light, generosity will overflow. When you rightly understand the generous nature of our God, we looked at Zacchaeus who, when he came to Jesus, gave half of his stuff away. And then anyone that he did wrong, he gave back four times as much because a true heart change happened in him and he was richly generous to others. And then fifth, God's desire is for us to be joyful in generosity. You know this passage, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver, a generous heart. God's desire is for us to be joyful in our generosity. And then sixth, it all belongs to the master. And my job is to put it to good use. We looked at the parable of the talents in Matthew 25 where each of these servants were given it, given an amount of money and told to put it to good use. It is not their resources. They are not your resources. They are the master's and they are to be put to good use, to his good use for his purposes. All that we have, belongs to the master for the master's purposes, for his desires here on this earth, not for your own or my own, but for the master. Listen, uh, you know that we have a, a mortgage for our church, and um, many of us, actually on staff, uh, a lot of us are praying every single day that the Lord would, would even meet that in a miraculous way. We're trusting the Lord. We're not stressed about it at all. Trust me. God will take care of that. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Uh, but we spend time praying each day. And I was thinking the other day, if, if someone dropped off a big bag of money on our doorstop that completely paid off our whole mortgage tomorrow, that'd be amazing. But if that happened and we fail to make disciples of all nations while we're here, close the church doors right now. If we fail in the master's purposes, the money doesn't matter at all. The money is a resource to use for the master to carry out his purposes. It doesn't matter at all. What matters is the mission. What matters is making disciples for God's glory. That's why we exist. That's why we're here, not just as a church, but as believers. We exist to make disciples, more and better Christians for his kingdom. We're laying up a good foundation for the future. 
There are men and women every day who we walk past that apart from Jesus Christ are headed to an eternity apart from him in hell. And our desire is to see more of them come to know him who is eternal life. Come to be with us in eternity. We want to use what we have to store up a good foundation for the future. That's why the master has entrusted all of it to us. That's why we have this. So what we do as a church and what we do as individual believers with our finances matters. It matters because it belongs to the master. So don't ever miss the reality of all of it. All of it is to keep us in the place where we would say, just like what's on the money, in God we trust. No matter what. Through ups, through downs, when money comes, when money goes, in God we trust. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are amazed at your incredible generosity towards us in Jesus Christ. Oh, how we have not deserved the grace that you have given us, but you have poured it out richly upon us. And we are thankful, not just in this age, but for all eternity for what you have done for us in Jesus Christ. God, enable us to be sure that these riches don't produce a pride in us. God, enable us to make sure that we don't set our heart on these riches, that our security is found in you alone and what you have accomplished in your faithfulness in the past and the way that you will be faithful in the future. God, help us to be rich in our good works towards others. Help us to be generous and know that that brings about the true riches. We desperately want to see your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. And we would desire, Lord, that you would take every aspect of our lives, our bank accounts, our time, our opportunities, everything that we have in our hands, enable us to have them open before you so that you would use them for your purposes here on earth, that we would see the world transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ for your glory. We pray all this in his name. Amen.